Hello. I'll start that again. Um, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> I'm trying to think how to start. Hello. God, that was way too cheery. Hello and welcome to the season two of Between You and Me. We've uh, had a week off, haven't we? We've been, well, relaxing in the sun, drinking margaritas. No, we've been in lockdown like the rest of you, doing nothing. Drinking ginger beer. We did drink some ginger beer. We've also lamented the fact that I came up with a brilliant joke last night and we can't remember what song it related to. But I don't think it was a season's end joke, so it may yet return. Yeah. Maybe we need to watch all those videos again. It down. Such we a should, good joke. We should go through the um, YouTube history and um, yes, see we the videos. Watching, oh, yeah. We decided to pick. <laughs> yeah, for some reason last <laughs> night, even yeah, even though we're going through this in chronological order, some re- for some reason last night I decided to show Sandy all my least favourite Marillion songs on YouTube. Yeah, that was that strange was an experience. Yeah, and one of those had a brilliant joke attached to it. Yes, we, so we, we just need to don't remember that. which one it was. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't Season's End, was it? I don't think so. Anyway, new season. Yes. New singer, new era, new album, season's end. I have a real urge to begin this podcast by saying, and here we are once more. Don't do that. That's gone now. I know it's It's so wrong and rebellious, but. You want to be a troll, don't you? Yeah, I do. Give the man a chance. (laughs) It's what we all had to do in 1989. We had to give him a chance. And we did. It was, yeah, it wasn't about that. It's just it fitting for the start of a new season. Yes, but, well, yes, but also not fitting, given... Not fitting, I know. Given that we are now post-fish. We are now in the era of Steve Hogarth, who later became known as H, due to the fact that there were two Steves in the band. Steve. So- Steve R and Steve H. So he wasn't known as H straight away? No, I think it was what? someone in the road crew started calling him H. Well, how long into him being in Marillion did that happen? No, was it? Um, it must have been sometime in the 90s because he released a solo album, kind of mid 90s, which had a big H on the cover. And that's when he started doing H band and H natural kind of shows. Ah. So, I mean, yeah. it's kind of cool. I'd like to have a name. Like, I'd like to be known just by S. An, a letter. By S. Yeah, S. <laughs> hey, S, how, how's it going? S. It doesn't really ro- roll off the tongue like H does, H. though, does it? The trouble with H is people say H. Yeah. It's not, it's H. I wonder if that winds him up. Well, used to wind my dad up if I said H. My teachers at school got wound up. We're getting off topic. Yeah. We've got a lot to cover. Reel us in. We've got a lot to cover because we're dealing with in this episode, it may become two. You'll know by the end of this ep. Uh, we're dealing with not only Season's End, but of course, just the reaction at the time to the new boy. Yes. Who was very new and very different mm. and very nice. I'm sorry? Lots <laughs> of my thread. Nice. Very Nice. I didn't understand what you just said. Nice. Fred. Very nice. No, before that. Very different. No, after that. Very new. Something of Fred. 
It really doesn't know. matter. Yeah. This is not really, strictly speaking, okay. what this podcast is about. It's not important. <laughs> it's really not. Oh, dear. We okay. need to get focused. Get focused. So, here's a quote from Mark Kelly. The ever blunt Mark Kelly, which I love him for that. <laughs> I watched an interview with him the other day where he uh, said some some things that were quite to the point. Mm. He scares me a bit because he's so... He's a bit intimidating, isn't he? Yeah. I have inti- I I've him... interviewed him, you know. Have you? He was lovely, you... lovely on the phone. You weren't intimidated when you interviewed him? No, not really. He was lovely. Um, he did try to run me over with his bike on purpose once in Port Zealand. On purpose? Yeah, yeah. When they you get... said, because well, I know he runs, I thought you meant he tried to run you over by running over you. No, no, he had a bike. He he, he beat or rang his bell and shouted, get out of the way! Um, and then I, I flipped because I didn't know who it was. Uh, <gasps> you flipped? I went, oh, what the... F-? And then it was like, he was looking back, grinning. He'd done it on purpose. Uh, <laughs> Bless him. Surprised you. What a joker. Mad Jack as they call him. So, Mark said, there was never any question of us not carrying on. Fish was the public face of Marillion, but at the end of the day, it is the music people listen to when they buy a record. And we've still got our sound. It was the four of us that made that sound. Steve Rothery added, when Fish left, it was like a huge weight being lifted off my shoulders. The biggest feeling I experienced was relief. We never doubted that we could carry on. Wow. The biggest feeling I experienced was relief. Uh-huh. What What is that about? I think it was just, it was intense, it was wasn't it, clearly? arguing and I'm, I'm wondering. Well, that atmosphere is, is there on Clutching at Straws, as we've established. Mm. It's such a dark, intense, kind of claustrophobic album. Yeah. You, you know, we both felt, after Misplaced, particularly after misplaced but also clutching just kind of a bit down didn't I we? felt down for days yeah like it it actually weighed my mood down mm. in my day-to-day life it did affect me yeah yeah it, it was did. not an easy album to listen to so yeah I guess imagine recording that because we're playing it for months we were not doing what what Steve Rothery or sorry Mark Kelly and Steve suggested there we were going deep into the lyrics. You know, it wasn't just about the music. We yeah. were doing that thing that I think a lot of Marillion fans did yeah. back then, which was the, the lyrics and Fish were entwined with the music kind of almost inseparably, mm-hmm. which is why it was such a shock when they separated. Mm. But as Mark Kelly said back then, I think a lot of people assume that Fish wrote all of the lyrics and music and was the leader of the band and that when he left, he took all the songwriting ability away with him. So I suppose in that sense, we've proven that's not true. I don't know when that quote's from, that one. Oh, but, interesting. Um, I should have made a So he record. didn't write all the lyrics? Yes. Or, uh, yes. He's saying, assume that people wrote all of the lyrics and music. Oh, Whereas he only wrote the lyrics, not the music. Yeah. Right. Okay. And I went, all right, he, he, vocal melodies. Mm. And then he used to, in the early days, play drums on stage. But I think that was to give him something to do. Like, you know, like when your, your kids are bored and you give them like a sauce pad and a wooden spoon. Here <laughs> 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 you fish. Here you go. <laughs> Keep them out of trouble. Oh, dear. 
You're not making a friend out of him. I love fish. <laughs> I know. And he should know it. I know. And anyone who's listened to our 11 episodes so far <laughs> should know it. So they needed a new singer. Yeah. And a lyricist. Yes. So they put adverts in the music press saying Marillion require vocalist and got hundreds of tapes in return. Oh. However, as we know, because we listened to the demos, which we covered in our final episode of season one, they had already been working on music, some of which became the music that was season's end. Um, but what they didn't have were lyrics because Fish took all those with him. So they also put out a shout for a lyricist to help put some words to the songs before they'd found a vocalist. Um, they apparently briefly toyed with working with a guy called Viv Stanshaw, who you, I suspect, won't know, but he was in a band called the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, which were kind of a, a comedy. Brilliant. <laughs> of, uh, Neil Linus was, uh, was, was part of them. They, their biggest hit was a song called The Urban Spaceman, which I think H mm-hmm. has done a cover of somewhere. Um, but that was their big hit. But but eventually they decided not to work with him. Um, and they, they instead enlisted a guy called John Helmer. Now, John Helmer, he'd been in a punk band called the Piranhas and then subsequently joined a band, which I remember, called Pookie Snackenberger. These are all such good names. <laughs> yeah, I know, they just basically look for people with, <gasps> with, with bands with, with weird names. But he was, I guess... In, at the time, touting himself as a lyricist because EMI put them in touch with him and they liked his lyrics. They said they were different to Fish, more direct, but sort of had imagery that felt Marillion-y, I suppose. Mm. Um, well, I didn't realise, sorry, this is slightly off off tangent. Pookie Snackenberger, which John Helmer was in, eventually morphed into Stomp. Do you know Stomp? Those, they're, they're kind of the dance music troupe. Yes, that, I do. Whack dustbins. What? Yeah. So John Helmer was oh, somehow involved wow. with all that. Yeah, Stomper famous worldwide. Yeah, yeah. Should have stuck with him. Yeah, all, yeah. all you need to know is how to hit a bin. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Anyone can do that. Get fishing. They could have done it with saucepans and wooden spoons. Oh, my goodness. Anyway. Um, so John Helmer wrote for the band right up until... Well, his final lyric was used on Sounds That Can't Be Made. Uh, Pour My Love on that album. Yeah, it was an old John Helmer lyric. He did Pour My Love? Yeah. Wow. Oh, that... He wrote all of it or just bits of it? I think... uh, I mean, H, this is the way it tended to work. We're jumping ahead slightly, but... Yeah, we're really way ahead now. He would fax over lyrics. Yeah. um, Back in the days when fax was a thing. Uh, And H would take them and tinker with them. To kind of personalise them a bit yeah. or make them more into the sort of topics that he could sing about. So he might have done that with Poor My Love. That's so interesting because um, Poor My Love did, when I listen to Sounds I Can't Be Made, okay, spoiler, I have listened to that. Mm. Um, it does stand out as different from the other songs. Right, yeah. For me, anyway. I think it started as a song called uh, Bend Your Head. or um, Yeah. So he he had a, ended up having a very long association with the band. So... When we're going to be talking about lyrics, I mean, we're not probably going to go into the depth that we did with Fish. This is more going no. to be because 
although once we get into the 90s, H really starts putting himself out there in terms of being revealing his inner working, shall we say. I mean, at points, it, it's very raw, some of his lyrics. I should state as well, even though this album only has three lyrics from H on there, he tinkered with the the John Helmer songs. Look at your face. You're shocked. You didn't know that, did you? I had no idea. There are only three lyrics on there which are completely which written by H. The Space, Easter and Holloway Girl. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. The rest of them are written by John Helmer, though H has adapted them. That's really interesting. Oh, you've got a big grin on your face. You've got a theory. No, I, well, <laughs> I don't have a theory, but certainly in Easter and the Space, there were two sections that I was just like, oh, that's pure H. Mm. But I had no idea. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. We'll get into the songs a more, bit more specifically when we get to them. What I will say, and I'm going to, this is slightly to offset what may be viewed as some criticism when we get to certain H or certain lyrics on this album. I think Steve Hogarth, as of 2020, is a phenomenal lyricist. Yeah, he is. He, I, I relate to H's lyrics over the last 15 years way more than I ever did to Fish's lyrics. He has a way of, of saying stuff really directly, but also with beautiful imagery there have been so many h songs that he's written that i've kind of gone yep yep that's how it is um we'll get to them in time but i just want to say that because this is in much the same way that fish's early lyrics you know script for just a tear were proto fish so we shall we say mm. you know kind of pre-cambrian era evolutionary fish <laughs> <laughs> Before fish had grown, wow. before fish had grown legs and learned to walk well, on the land. Well, he was still in the sea. Yeah, he was still. The fish was still in the sea. He hadn't turned into a, a crocodile. Yeah, he yeah. was. He was still technically not fish. He was primordial ooze. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, he did later do a cover of a song called Ape Man." So <laughs> there you go. Okay. So it was his idea, not yours. Yeah. So this is this is proto H. This is okay. primordial ooze H. Yeah. Although it should be stated that Steve Hogarth had way more experience in the music industry at this point than mm. Fish did when he joined Marillion. Hogarth had been around the block quite a bit. I'm not going to go into huge detail about the joining of the band. We will we'll talk about it as we go because I think it's a story that's been very well documented. Right. Meridian fans know about the catalogy thing and the meeting in Peter Travis's garden and blah blah blah. I don't. I don't know. I'll about tell any you of that. in I'll tell you but just in I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of it as we go. So Ronald Stephen Hoggoth, that's his name. Apparently a mix up on his birth certificate, which he explained on a recent Corona Diaries that that he was meant to be Steve, but they put Ronald first. Ronald was meant to be his middle name. Oh, I remember him saying that. Didn't <laughs> yeah. he say that it happened to his sister as well? Oh, really? I don't remember that. Uh, so he was born in 1959 uh, in in Cumbria. So he's a nor- northerner. His family story, effectively, can be read in the lyrics of This Strange Engine, which again we'll get to in a few albums' time. Uh, prior to joining Marillion, he started out his first his first band were uh, 
late 70s boy band called Harlow, who did a song called Harry DiMaggio. They used to play working men's clubs up north and refused to play covers. And so they would just play their own songs. And apparently at one show, they were threatened with a very drunk northern guy with a knife telling them to play Delilah by Tom Jones, which they (laughs) immediately did. Not the kind of song you can imagine being threatened at night knife point to oh, see. Oh, what? In a working men's club, more <laughs> drunk, singing My, My, My sing Delilah. Delilah. <laughs> <laughs> Do it, i cut ya. <laughs> I know, it's a nice song. It's, like, it's not like some angry kind of... Like Fugazi. <laughs> Play Fugazi. <laughs> Maybe we should try that at the next Marilyn gig we go to. <laughs> Bring a knife. Bring a knife and threaten H to play Fugazi. <laughs> it works, apparently. <laughs> so... Uh, it's worth having a listen to. It's on YouTube, Harry DiMaggio. Uh, and there, there's a great website called theeuropeans.co.uk, which has has all the tracks on there. I actually really like it, Harry DiMaggio. It's, it's a completely facile kind of pop song that doesn't say anything. <laughs> it's just about a cool dude called Harry DiMaggio who likes all the girls. And, uh, but H wrote it. It's an H song uh, worth listening to. Another song called Crazy, Crazy, Crazy or something, which tells you all you need to know about Harlow. So from there, he joined the band The Europeans, who were much more, I suppose, cool, for want of a better word. They weren't so much a boy band. They were more kind of new wave art rock. And I remember seeing one of their videos on Beavis and Butthead one time. And it was the, I showed you the video the other week for a song. It's I think it was called The Animal Song, where they all dress up as like lizards and they waggle their tongues. Do you remember that? Oh, They're yeah, all painted vaguely. as lizards. And the Beavis and Butthead, because you know Beavis and Butthead used to watch videos and then react to them. Oh, when, okay. When they showed I've never the, watched Beavis and Butthead. Oh, that's what they used to do, and there'd be a story linking. But when they showed this Europeans video, they showed it, and they just cut to Beavis and Butthead just staring into space with their eyes open because <laughs> it was so horrible. <laughs> So he was in the Europeans, and out of the Europeans, he then, um, they had, I wouldn't say any success as such, but they certainly got on TV a few times. Some of their songs I really like. There's a song called Acid Rain, which has H on vocals, because he also, as we know, is a keyboard player. He was a keyboard player first and foremost. But in the Europeans, he he shared vocals. And in, uh, they, they, got on the tube and stuff and acid rain is is an h vocal performance it's great great song he's so young though when you watch these videos he's like stick thin little kind of he's tiny (laughs) he's like a little boy and the european split up and then he formed with uh one of the other guys out the band a a guy called colin war he formed a band called how we live which released uh an album called dry land Get yeah out. look at your face oh it is yeah <laughs> that was a weird noise it's well, a, an album yeah title track on it was a song called dry land and it, were, is there any similarity to the marillion yeah. dry land we'll talk about that lyrics? when we get to the oh, next when we album get to it. Okay, but yeah fine. there might be one or two similarities oh and there might be some curious. similarities on season's end to certain how we live songs Really? Yes. Musically or lyrically? I'll tell you when we get there. Uh, but it was, let's say, H's 
H had a, a well, he literally had a fire bucket, a plastic fire bucket full of full of songs that he used to carry around with him. And when they were writing Seasons End, the rest of the band would go, you got anything in your bucket? And he'd pull out a tape and go, yeah, here you go. Easter was one of those songs. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, I've got this. Put it on. They go, oh, we like that. Or nah. Wow. So yeah, he used to carry this bucket around with him. Bizarre. <laughs> Image of I can't see how that could be practical to store tapes in just because of its shape. Yeah. But why not like a, a satchel? Yeah. Why a why a fire bucket? Well you wouldn't lose it because you yeah. know yeah. it doesn't look like every other bag. No. Or like any a bag. Fire bucket. Can you imagine though, like you know when clowns like throw buckets at each oh, and yeah. it's like like shredded paper? Or someone's like, it's a fire, it's a fire, quick. <laughs> Check away just demos on the fire. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, so um, he also was a bit of a session musician. He's got a, a bunch of credits throughout the 80s of him mostly either giving backing vocals or, or playing keyboards, obviously. He played on John Otway's album, All Balls and No Willie. Yes, Sonia. That's okay. Um, that was, in fact, I think it was all of the Europeans played on that as the backing band. And it was called that because it was John Otway's first album without his collaborator, Wild Willie Barrett. I see. And also it's a funny Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he also, and this is very key, he played uh, keyboards on the Thurs album, Infected. Now, I didn't know who he was other than uh, when he joined Marillion. I hadn't realised that until years later about his association with The The, because I loved The The in the late 80s. I was, I got into them. Oh, work, that's a long story. A colleague played The The to me as we were going on a work trip to Birmingham and I really liked them. I had no idea their keyboard player was going to join my favourite band. But anyway... So when How We Live were dropped by their record company and H was done with the music industry, he had, his self-esteem was battered, apparently, and he was considering giving it all up to become a milkman. This was the end of what? 1988. No, with his talent. Yeah. What a waste that would have been. It was the, the, the music bits. He just felt that there were too many... <sighs> Too much politics, I think. And also, I think the head of CBS or something said that he couldn't sing. Oh, what? Yeah, I know. Steve well, that was a lie? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know about a lie, but it was certainly not true. <laughs> yeah, Which is you'd, a have lie. To, you'd have to be deaf in the ears. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to being deaf in the bum. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that works. So don't, don't try and work it out god that would have been such a tragedy yeah i know deprived of that voice yeah so he uh apparently turned up his music publishers at the entire end of 88 and said have you, have you got anything i can do and what he meant was you know i could do some photocopying or something like that and they went no oh, way oh marillion are looking for a new lead singer and he was like right <laughs> Apparently he did own Clutching the Straws and Misplaced Childhood. He had bought them. Oh, wow, did he? So he was familiar with them. But I think his attitude was, you can't replace fish. 
Yeah. Yeah, fishes Marillion. Same as everyone thought, you know, they most people thought Marillion who weren't fans thought Marillion were a Scottish heavy metal band. That was wow. what people that was the perception. And that was yeah. because of Fish, because Fish was Scottish. No other Scottish members of the band. But that also tells you a bit about their audience because you go to their shows and it was the same audience as you get at an Iron Maiden gig. Oh, right. Which I never really understood, but it, it, it happened. Do I've never listened to Iron Maiden. Do they sound a lot like Fisher no, and Marillion? they're a heavy metal band. They're genuinely... So there's no similarities at all? Well, this is another podcast altogether. The... I liked Iron Maiden in the 80s. They they flirted with prog a few times, tracks like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and the Summer in Time album. And they did some uh, tracks that were less heavy metal, things like Wasted Years. But they were mates with Marillion. Right. I think you know, Iron Maiden went to Fish's wedding and oh, when, wow. when I saw the gig with Prince Edward, Iron Maiden turned up on stage and... Uh, play some songs. Are they them. English? I made not Yeah, I'm really showing my ignorance here. I always thought they were American. Yeah, yeah, they was the British heavy metal. They were the the pioneers in a lot of ways. Well, no, Who people knew? kill me for saying that and not saying Deep Purple. But in eight, the eighties, they were the the bastions of yeah of British heavy metal, and they shared fandom with without a doubt. Marillion. You'd see people with patches on their jackets that said Iron Maiden next to the ones that said Marillion. That's so interesting. Yeah. And it was it was at school. It was the long-haired kids who liked Marillion, who also liked Iron Maiden. It was just just the way it was. And you see it, it shows a lot of denim and a lot of patches. <laughs> that was H's attitude. It was much the same as the rest of the country, really. However. Yeah, he knew that they'd be big shoes to fill. Yeah. As we've said, quite literally, Fish is a foot taller than H. So, yeah. Ah. <laughs> anyway, so there, um, his music publisher got permission from H reluctantly to send Marillion some of his tapes. Uh, and he sent, uh, they sent a, a cassette over containing three songs. One was a, a track called Games in Germany, which is on the Dry Land album, which is great. I love that song. Kingdom Come, don't know what that is. And another track called Easter and this tape got what? sent to Marillion and it was heard by Ian Mosley who listened to it in the car and I think the tape came with a, a headshot of H you know a photo of you know promo photo probably from his how we live days but as as uh, as Mosley says uh, he opened the envelope and there was a photo of Steve Hogarth I thought he was a good looking boy I put the cassette in and Games in Germany came on and straight away I thought he had a great voice. There was something I could really identify with in that track too. Um, so they sat down as a band and straight away everyone said yes, ask him along. So they invited him to audition. H had forgotten all about this tape being sent to Marillion. Right. So when he got the call in Can, January... Hang on, sorry. Just to put it all in context, how, what is the time frame here? Like how much time has passed? We're talking, this is the since... end of 88. So not a lot of time had passed, really. Fish's final show with them was a, a show called, was it Fifade? Up in Scotland, which was by all accounts disastrous because it rained and there was a lot of mud and the band weren't feeling it. And then obviously they went off for a while to 
uh, trying to write a new album with him and it didn't work. And I think that then, I think, was it September 88 that he left? So this was, this was the end of 88, mm-hmm. December 88, the H. So he left in September and this was in December. That's not September. a long No. Well, I knew they needed you lead singer. But bear in mind, they'd already been writing music. Yeah. So they, um, I was just wondering, did they have like six months off or a year no. off? But no. No, they were carrying on. Considering they, they'd been touring quite heavily, but as, clutching as, at straws. As Rother said, the weight had been lifted. Right. And they felt energised. They had something to prove that they weren't fish. Yeah. I always remember a review at the time that said, of Season's End, spoilers, that said, Meridian have proved they're more than just one man. Now Fish has to prove he's more than just one band. Yes. Because their album came out pre the Fish album. Right. Ah, interesting. So Christmas happened. H forgot about the fact that his publishers had sent this cassette off to Meridian. And then H got offered the opportunity to go on tour with The The as their keyboard player. Ooh, what <laughs> yeah. are you going to do? Yeah, and at the time, the, the were, they had uh, Johnny Marr, guitarist from the Smiths, involved. They were, they a, were cool, massive. a cool band. Yeah, my mum liked the, the. Did she? <laughs> yeah, she loved one of them. It was one of their songs she really loved. Anyway, uh, so, and then, then the offer came in from Marillion to go and audition. Which he did. And they had a meeting at Peter Avis's house. Famously, they had to have the meeting in the garden because H is violently allergic to cats. And Pete had a number of cats in the house. So they had to discuss it all in the garden. Two thirds of the album was pretty much written at this point with, of course, lyrics from John Helmer. Oh, that's so... Uh, But they, they reconvened in Pete's garage, which... It was apparently full of equipment and wasn't a lot of room. And they ran through, I think it was King Sunset Town, the release, which became the B-side of Easter. And uh, two old songs, Sugar Mice and Incommunicado. Yeah, so so they wanted to see that he could sing the old songs and the new songs. Like yeah. that it would work. Yeah. And two perfect songs for H, which is telling that, that those songs have continued in the set list to this day that he still sings them and what's really interesting as well is some of the other people who auditioned apparently they had people turn up in face paint and do all the theatrics and prancing around um but they did a lot of other stuff as well kind of i don't know whether there was a, a decision to only focus on stuff that they felt would suit h's voice mm. but it's interesting that they didn't do anything from fugazi mm. which of course he never did right. ultimately yeah Whereas I think some of the other auditionees, such as the lead singer of a band called Galahad, who are very prog, um, they they certainly did a so wider selection of old stuff. Other auditionees were kind of trying to copy Fish, whereas H went in there and was just himself. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's but that's what ultimately I think was was so clever is that they went they really went with someone who was the polar opposite of Fish. Both yeah. physically and musically. In every way. Yeah, vocally. The the works. But also it was a double-edged sword because I think it cost yeah. them. 
at the same time. In the long run, it's what what has led to Marillion surviving to this day. Yeah, and and if anything, thriving. Kind of bigger I'd than say. yeah, thriving, bigger than they've been since the eighties in a lot of ways. Yeah, they they are they have a business model now which you know is absolutely built for sort of longevity. It's a shame they're all getting older that they couldn't have discovered this sort of back in the back in the I don't know mid nineties. But anyway, so a couple of quotes from band members. Rother said, the minute start, Steve started singing, it was like our whole creativity became supercharged again. It had that same magic working together that we had in the early days with Fish. And it was obvious to all of us right from the word go that this was the guy for the job. Aww. However, <gasps> however, H pissed them off because he said, I need to go away and think about it. <laughs> they were all expecting to go, we're offering you, uh, we're offering you the job of leasing in one of the biggest bands in Britain. Yeah. And he went, eh, hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Give me, give me a few days. Well, well had, I think that's fair enough though. In his words, he had to choose between the coolest band in Britain and the uncoolest. <laughs> that was that was what the choice came down to. Yeah. Marillion had in the media a terrible reputation, as we know. Uh, it was the, the, were, you know, the edgy and considered, yeah, hip. Mm. So H said, so there's a lot of quotes in this, but it's worth yeah, giving no, it's it in no their good. own Gives, words. Helps us get the feeling for the time. Yeah. So he said, I was initially reserved about even exploring joining the band because I didn't feel like I was the right guy for the job. I assumed that they would want someone to replace Fish and I knew I wasn't able to do that, as in replace like for like. Yeah. The band literally had to pester me to do the initial rehearsal. He really needed convincing. <laughs> yeah. Well, what happened then was Ian Mosley was mates with a guy called Daryl Way who was in a, a old 70s prog band called Curved Air. And apparently Daryl Way knew Steve Hogarth. And Ian said, can you have a word with him and tell him we're all right? So the band was like really, it sounds to me like they were really, they really eager to work yeah. with H. Yeah. And they could feel that they had a good chemistry together. But mm. H was like a little bit unsure. Yeah. Maybe nervous, maybe like. I'm sure. Come on. I mean, you know. Yeah, well, I fish. would be. And on top of that, he's also coming from a place where he had had his confidence knocked by the music industry and suddenly oh, he was yeah, going to be in true. a very, very public yeah, way. That, yeah, that's a good point. And he had said that that additionally his, which is interesting because there are parallels with Fish, I don't know if it's a lead singer thing, that his, he wanted to be successful and famous as a, as a pop star and it, he said it nearly ruined his life. So... I understand the reservations. Whereas he could have gone with the relative anonymity of being the touring keyboard player in the the. Mm. Um, he made the right call ultimately because yeah, he's had a career that's endured. Definitely. So what basically swung it in H's words were a whole load of things, as well as Daryl Way whispering in his ear and saying, "Go on, do it." Uh, was apparently he said, first of all, meeting the boys, they're really nice people. Matt from The The is very intense, which I bet he is. Is he? <laughs> yeah, he's not much fun, H says, in pure, typical, indiscreet H fashion. 
He said what really swung out the hard-headed part was that it was really the difference between going and playing for somebody for seven months, then saying goodbye or becoming part of something that would be as much about me as anything else. I'm a creative person and this was a chance to weld myself onto Marillion instead of just working for somebody. The attitude Marillion had towards the future was fantastic. They just said, look, we've heard what you do, we've heard the songs you've written and we love them. We want to do what we do and we want you to do what you do. (laughs) Oh dear, why are you getting emotional? I don't know. That's really lovely. Yeah, well, even lovelier, they they split everything five ways. The second age came in, any money that came into Marillion, even from past royalties, from songs that he had nothing to do with, wow. it all went into a pot and they all got paid equally. That's so, that's really Good guys. honourable of them. Really, really honourable. They, they went about it the right way. Yeah. Because it could have built up a degree of animosity. Yeah. And I suppose they were eager to avoid that after what yeah. happened with Fish. I don't know. I think the thing that I find touching is like they just really wanted him for him. Yeah. They appreciated him as a person and his talent and were like, just be yourself. We don't want you to replace Fish. No. We want you to form a band with us yeah. and become one unit. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose they wanted, like I say, recreate, but at least have that same sort of camaraderie that they had in the early days with Fish. Yeah. The sense of being a gang. And you can't do that if there's inequality Yeah, there. Yeah, it, true. Everyone needs to be on the same level. Mm. You know, if, if they were still benefiting hugely from Kaylee and you know some people were getting more from Kaylee than others yeah it can build up subconscious resentment yeah age was coming to that with enough baggage as it as it was because he was entering into the band that had had a massive hit with Kaylee and misplaced childhood it must that must have been psychologically the pressure must have been unimaginable yeah which is why it would help to be so embraced by mm. the other band members. Yeah. Sort of going, you don't have to be exactly like Fish. We value we, you. Yeah, we value you and your music. We've listened to it. We love what you do and what you can bring yeah. to the band. No wonder he played hard to get. He wanted them to chase. <laughs> <laughs> Prove you love me. <laughs> yeah. What, a, what an H thing to do. <laughs> so... What they then did, they went away for a while to try and see how it would go. They He wasn't officially in the band yet. They went away to go and try and write some songs, work up the album. But by all accounts, it went really, really well. It was, they, they took out to a place near Brighton called The Mushroom Farm. Oh. Yeah. Is it an actual mushroom farm? I don't think so. Uh, if it been. is, I want to go there. Okay, that's a really not... God, here we go. You can't bring that into our conversation and just let it Look, we all know what go you want. unspoken. You, you want to be doing a gardening podcast about fish. <laughs> I don't we do all... any gardening in my life. <laughs> no, we all know that's what you really want to be doing, but this isn't that podcast. <laughs>
so they started working on the two-thirds of the songs that were already there, H reworking John Helmer lyrics. Uh, one of the tracks that, that came together apparently very quickly there was Hooks in You, because H heard Rothers playing around with the guitar and doing the riff that, that forms all of Hooks in You. Uh, and <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. And then and sort of pestered him to sort of, well, you've got to make that into a, you know, we've got to work on that. That's got to become a song. But King of Sunset Town, Seasons End of Berlin were all pretty much finished at this point prior to H really oh, getting involved right. other than him sort of tinkering with the lyrics. Um, the first half of Space was written. The Space, sorry. Uh, the pop. lyrics as well? No, because they're Yeah, H I thought lyrics. you said H wrote and the lyrics. And the, the uh, part of The Space um, is taken from a How We Live demo. Oh, um, mu- music. Musically. And oh, really? I think. Oh. Uh, although Colin War from How We Live wasn't initially credited for that. However, he is now. That's all we'll say about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and they had some of Uninvited Guests as well, which were all, these are all things that they'd sort of worked out with Fish uh, late in the day. And Uninvited Guests... I read a quote the other day from Rothers. I couldn't find it again when I was preparing for this, how there are similarities between Uninvited Guest and a Fish solo track off his second solo album called Lucky. Uh, there's, there's, and I can see it now. Ah. Yeah, Rothers said, oh, I need to have a word with him about that. So anyway, so yeah, Hooks in You, uh, Holloway Girl, Easter, which of course mm-hmm. came out of the bucket, uh, were, were all put together. Brand new. What are you smiling about? <laughs> Sorry, it's just out of, that came out of the bucket is going to is going to become a phrase now. <laughs> but they they figured at some point that they they had they had something, and so it became public that fish had been replaced. Wow! And oh wait, so what month did it become public? Uh, well, I'm I don't not know sure. why I need these specific details. Yeah, what's going on? I just do. Why are you doing? That? It just helps, kind of get a general sense of the timeline. And I guess if it was soon, you can kind of imagine. I think it must have been relatively early in in 89. So this was all very fast moving then. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Because they played their first show with H in June. June 89. 89. Now. Wow, so six months later. That wasn't technically a Marillion gig. They, it was meant to be a secret gig, which they played as the low-fat yogurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a pub called The Crooked Billet near where they were recording the album. Mm. And somehow 150 people found out about it and turned up and this pub couldn't fit them in. They had to get in and out through the window wow. behind the stage. There's a clip of it on there. They released a video called Stoke Rotary Ipanema that shows a, has a little bit of a clip of that first show. And... This was all, they'd, they'd not rehearsed anything, but apparently it was Mark Kelly had been down the pub and, and agreed to play a show in return for free food and went back to the band and said, oh, we're doing a show. Um, <laughs> so come, on. come on, guys. H was crapping himself because it wasn't like a venue at all. It was just, there wasn't a stage. Yeah. They were just set oh. up in one corner of the, of the pub. Oh, my goodness. Apparently at that, they play Slange. Yeah. King of Sunset Town, Warm Wet Circles and That Time of the Night. Uninvited guest, Easter, Katie, Lavender, Hooks in You and After Me. 
so that was the first that was the first eight show although oh, it wasn't the first eight yeah. show technically by this point he had been announced which is worth getting into that um a bit because they've been they, they were continuing to get coverage in Kerrang the heavy metal magazine they, they uh there was an interview with i think Mark and Steve after Fish left that was weird reading an interview with the other members of the band that was really strange and then H was announced with photos of this floppy head fop is what I thought <laughs> everyone I think who saw those pictures of the rest of the band with H it dropped jaws mm. because he he was so different to fish and he looked you remember there were some photos of there there's a whole bunch of, of shots from around then there's somewhere he's wearing kind of sunglasses and a bomber jacket thing uh, and he's pouting and he's got the floppy hair apparently the floppy hair as he said it was the first time since he was seven years old that he had a side parting for some reason decided that morning oh so really i remember i appeared on the british tv show games master many years ago and for some reason that morning i decided to blow dry my hair which i never oh, do no. and forever that clip of me on games master haunts me because i I just, it just, my hair. Then that's sort of but safe sure, posterity. Surely the floppy haired pictures don't haunt H because they look good. Well, in his words, that is an awful photo. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, he looked really, he didn't look like he fit because the rest of the band were. Okay, yeah, it didn't look like he fit with fishier and Marillion, no, for sure. the rest of the band also in the photo it was jarring because the rest of the band are wearing leather jackets like black leather jackets and baseball caps and things they've got the long hair and standing at the front of them in a pasty shirt done up to the <laughs> neck is yeah. this little guy posing like a kind of I don't know it's like they're from two separate bands yeah it's like Lord Byron meeting I don't know it's Lord Byron. In, it's, imagine like Lord Byron in Mad Max. That's what. It, yeah, that's, but you see, you say that, and that just makes me more curious. If I'd have seen that photo at the time, I would have been like, "I'm listening to them." Yeah. Because how do you merge two such different sensibilities? Yes. What is that going to sound like? Yeah, but I think instantly in that moment that those photos were released, I think they lost fans. Oh, really? Guaranteed. Well, yeah, but as if they were being um, publicised in Kerrang, which didn't you say was a heavy metal magazine? Yeah. Mm, like, how many heavy metal fans are going to be like, yay? Yeah, he looked like... Because he, he was, didn't look like a heavy me- heavy metal singer. He looked like he should have been in a, either a boy band. Or he was somewhere a cross between a boy band and a kind of indie band. Yeah. That's where he was... Yeah, that not heavy look metal. in those photos. And I know we shouldn't be... Uh, we're not going to judge from those photos. No. Clearly, as H has said, yeah, they were just like, a moment in time. Me. However, in terms of the story, they're really important because there are steps, missteps that Marillion made mm. that in those early days that did, without a doubt, cost them fans. You know, so, fish, because they were, fish leaving was huge for a lot, a lot of Marillion fans. I was thankfully a big enough fan that that alone didn't put me off. I was curious to know where they went next. Seeing those photos, 
I admit, it did slightly rattle my confidence. How would you have done the photos differently? Because I'm glad that H was true to himself. I'm like, yeah, start as you mean to go on. Yeah, but come don't on. Don't pretend was, to be something you're not. I was not, 17 so years old. I don't yeah. think, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I was 17. We all at 17 are a bunch of judgmental. Yeah. I don't, also don't think I was rude or anything like that. I never said to my mates, have you seen the new new singer? Yeah. But certainly there was part of me that kind of went, okay, interesting. Right. That's that's interesting. He's not like fish, is he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that is he didn't true. even have long hair. I had longer hair at that point than him. <laughs> still do. No, I don't actually. He's got still got long hair. Uh so yeah, so those those promo shots came out. And then I was I remember being in my bedroom. Um and I had the radio on. I knew Marillion yeah, we're gearing up to a new album and it was coming out at some point. And this song came on the radio that sounded like a hair metal song. And I was listening to it because I had the radio on because I was hoping a new Marillion. You know, back then there was no internet. Oh, so what, you... Did they not announce in, in the magazines I, I when a new song would drop? I don't know. Um, because I remember in one of the early... Uh, this is really interesting, I thought. In one of the early interviews when H was announced, they said that the most likely first single was King of Sunset Town. Right. Which I, I didn't know how it sounded, but yeah. that's what I was I was braced for. But somewhere along the line, that plan was dropped. Anyway, this song came on the radio. I only remembered this this morning. And I don't know what I was doing at the time, but I heard it and I thought, it's not the new Meridian song, is it? There was something about it, even though it sounded nothing like Marillion. I've never heard this guy's voice before, so yeah. it wasn't any other band. Yeah, but you'd know, you recognise the, the guitar. There was something in it. That, the keyboards. There was something in it that I thought, is that the new Marillion song? And then at the end, the DJ said, oh, that's the new one by Marillion. And I was like, oh, shit. That's that's good going, Paul, that you you were able to... There was something in it that I just Identify thought, them. Yeah. But I know when they're trying to do rock songs what they sound like. <laughs> uh, so I think I rang my mates up and went, have you heard the new Meridian single? They turned into... I, I, I remember saying this. They've turned into a heavy metal band. All right. It's not... What? Hooks in You is not heavy metal. It's not. However, however... I have a direct quote from Steve Rothery when describing the album, who described Hooks in You as, and I quote, a tongue-in-cheek heavy metal song. I'm speechless. I would never describe Hooks in You as heavy metal. It's not heavy metal, but it's rock. It's that kind of Van Halen-y hair rock pop Yeah, okay, maybe thing. soft metal. But I'm just telling you what I, I said at the time. 17-year-old me, give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay. Thank you. What I said at the time was, I said to my mates, they turn into a heavy metal band. And it scared the hell out of me. Because Aww. it scared me. Because I They're wanted Marillion. Yeah, Marillion the punk band. As we've established on this podcast, the their rockier stuff is never what I've loved about the band. I've loved it when it's been a bit more complex. I've loved their ballads and their poppier moments. But when they try to rock out it it never sat well with me mm. and it didn't then and i really got worried i thought that's it i've lost marillion 
And even though, as we've established, they have this metal fan base, I bet you that single lost them another bunch of fans from the other side, the people like me, who weren't quite as big a fan as me. Mm. I bet you. So you had the H promo pictures, Mm -hmm. which probably freaked out the metalers. You had Hooks in You, which probably freaked out the ones that just wanted Kaylee. And so. And maybe the more proggy. And maybe the more proggy lot. It's such a. It was the most directly trad rock song they'd ever done. Wasn't like Incommunicado, which had the witty, witty keys. It wasn't like Market Square Heroes. Wasn't even like He Knows You Know. Wasn't even really like, which wasn't a single, but but like The Last Straw on Clutching at Straws. It was mm, just a party true. rock song yeah. that sung about, you know, kind of get my hooks in you. Yeah. You know, she's got her it hooks in a- you. She's got her hooks in me. It's, yeah, it wasn't like a thesaurus. It wasn't in about song. anything. It was a song that wasn't about anything. So you once again alienating all those who love Marillion for Fish's lyrics. Yeah. It it was, according to Mark Kelly in the interview I watched with him last week, a terrible choice of single. Because it sounded Not nothing. Not because it's a bad song, no. Necessarily. We'll get to this when we get yeah. to the, the, the song on the album. We're talking about in terms of the impact it had on Marillion's yeah. fan base. Yeah. It didn't sound like anything they'd done. Didn't sound like anything they were going to do again. It was a complete outlier in terms of style and content. And on top of that, the the, the video they did for it was just a straightforward them playing the song live with some odd bits of some claws scratching down the screen or claws, red fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, over on Mark Kelly, as he said, he's, when when he was asked at the time about why they, they didn't do a more theatrical video, as he said, what's happened in the past is that we've always wanted to do live videos, but Fish saw videos as a vehicle for his acting aspirations. We've all felt that one of the strongest areas of the band was playing live. When Steve joined, it seemed the most logical thing to do. Right. So that was, uh, sorry, Steve Hogarth's first big appearance in front of Marillion fans. They just ran through the song 20 times in front of a big crowd while he, while he did his thing on stage. But the video, again, it didn't have that. Even though Marillion, as I said before, we're going to do an episode on the videos, even though pretty much most of their videos are terrible. <laughs> I don't mind saying that. Marillion have never made good videos. And this one was fine. It's still, at least the other videos were kind of conceptual and told mm. a story. I mean, you can't tell a story with hooks in you. What is it? It's a rock song. Yeah. So a live video is the best choice for it, really. Yeah. Yeah. So I was worried, but like a good Meridian fan, I bought the single, which the cover, bear in mind, I loved Mark Wilkinson's covers. It was a... I have not seen the cover. Oh, look, she's looking at us. Need to do this. They'd kept the logo, thank God. The logo was at least a concession to the past. So it's it, completely different. It's some sharp fingernails. Or claws, as you put it. Hooks. It's some I'm hooks. just painting my hooks. It's quite literal, isn't it? So that was the single cover, which kind of reinforced that, oh, they've become a rock band. Mm-hmm. A straightforward yeah. rock band. Yeah, that's a rock kind of cover, so I bought isn't it, it and put the wind right up me. What does that mean? Well, it was like, oh no. Oh no. So I got it home. I put it on. I listened to it. I was still worried. 
And then I listened to After Me, which was the B-side. And, oh my God, it was like, thank Christ, I love this. It was different because it had acoustic guitar. Marillion hadn't really used acoustic guitar before. And it's still, to this day, one of my favourite Marillion songs. I found the lyrics intriguing and really get what they were about, but I was intrigued by the lyrics. It had lovely, folky kind of intro and then it built in that way that only Marillion can and it was like things things might be all right why haven't they put this out as a single <laughs> why isn't after me the single and, yeah they should have flipped yeah so I love loved it I absolutely loved after me oh good phew so big I relief I was saved big yeah. relief because seriously I think if they hadn't had a b-side like that I was genuinely I think in danger of not being a Marillion fan Oh, that was a close call. Yeah. God, you. Yeah, I was in danger You, of, like of... the biggest Marillion fan ever up to that point, would have... Mm. No, surely not. You wouldn't have given up that quickly. I'd have probably seen them live. I'd have probably bought the album. But seriously, that my faith had been rattled by Hooks and You. Then they appeared on top of the Pops. Their single had got, gone in at number 30, which is the highest it got. But it's not great, really, for a first single off an album. Let's... So the from Clutching at Straws, what was the single? Uh, well, first single um, on that was Incommunicado. We went straight in at number six. Six, yeah. yeah. This went in number 30 and then dropped out. That's a massive difference. Yeah, but they appeared on top of the pops and this was, this was the first time any of us really had got to see H doing his thing and the band with H. Unfortunately, yeah, it was an appearance on top of the pops with Hooks in You, the least typical Marillion song they'd ever written. As a performer, he was totally different to Fish. This Top of the Pops appearance didn't do a lot to assuage my worries. They were still there, even though I'd even loved Even after, after hearing After You. After, after Me. me. <laughs> to me, to you. <laughs> <laughs> Getting confused with hooks in you. Uh, so, you know, he, this guy, again, floppy hair. He had a big smirk on his face. He had his shirt practically unbuttoned to his navel, uh, you know, clicking his fingers and shimmying around the stage. I should just apologise if you hear any drilling in the background. Our neighbours are having some DIY done. I think they're getting a new drive put in or something, so apologies for that. I don't think there's much we can do about it. I'm going out and sh shouting at them. So, yeah, so my mum was fostering a... A girl called Katie at the time, whose brother, who I've been at school with, was a big Meridian fan, although we weren't friends. Uh, and Katie, this is terrible. She came home from school the next day and apparently all her friends had been saying they fancy Steve Hogarth. What's wrong with that? Why is that terrible? You're not meant to fancy the lead singer of Marillion. <laughs> you know, no one fancied Fish. No one ever said, no one ever said, oh, fish. I'm <laughs> sure there were that. some. I'm I sure there some were some. Did. Oh, I had a man crush on fish. We all know that. That's fine. <laughs> My foster sisters were not meant to lust after Marillion members. Yeah. Even though my sister quite liked Mark Kelly, apparently. That's drilling in the background. Oh. Oh, I think Marillion had written a song about that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Hmm, stay tuned for a future episode. 
So, yeah, I don't know. I just found that weird. It was, again, that reinforced for me this whole, it's just so much change. It's yeah. so different. They had a heartthrob as a lead singer. Yeah. Which, which age he was. He was a good looking boy. There's no getting away from it. He was a, he was a pretty boy. And, and it, but I freaked out by that. Yeah, Marillion were meant to be a band for us outsiders, the ones uh, who liked uh, something so a bit. so that's what maybe was so. at the heart of it. Yeah, I it's just... It's like, we're not mainstream. Yeah, and here's a guy who looks kind of mainstream. Mm. He wasn't, as we've since established. H is brilliantly eccentric and quirky. And yeah. I think Marillion fans now love him for his quirkiness. But at the time, he he looked like a pop star, as opposed to Fish, who was like a kind of yeah unique. Well, I mean, Fish with his face paint. Yeah, this was only this is nineteen eighty nine, right? And his outfits. We were only five years since Fish last wore the face paint. Mm. It's not a lot of time at all, and and I all bands evolve and change, but we'd. This wasn't just a change. This was an abrupt turn by all accounts. Hooks in you, mm. pretty boy. Yeah, and I guess even after me, it's not. It's not full prog, is it? So no, you it's wouldn't. Not, I wouldn't call it a prog song at no, all. No, you wouldn't. So having only hooks in you and after me is not enough to sort of go. Don't worry, it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's still risky. What I haven't talked about though in this is. The voice. Mm. What's really interesting with Hooks in You, we'll get onto it probably a bit more next episode when we actually talk about the album and the individual tracks. But his voice, I don't know if he's singing differently or whether it's been produced differently, but it's the one Marillion rock song and they've done quite a few with H. And I always think his voice doesn't suit the rockier stuff. Whereas Fish, I think it did. But his voice works really well on Hooks in You. and But it doesn't necessarily... You listen to it back. It doesn't necessarily sound like H came to sound and how no. he sounds elsewhere on the album, yeah. which is why I wonder I, if it was produced differently. I, I, I don't think Hooks in You showcases his voice. No. His voice's potential. Yeah. Because I think if they... I mean, I think even after me showcases it, way better than hooks in you if they put that first yeah and you kind of go okay this is different but oh god listen to his voice it might have had a different effect with yeah. the fans because fans might have responded differently there ain't many people who can sing like h can <laughs> sorry i'm choking um <laughs> <laughs> no there there aren't there he's aren't got a phenomenal he's voice. he's world class and i don't think hooks in you it's not a great introduction it, it, it to it. It doesn't do his voice justice. I, I mean, I like Hooks in You. I'm just going to say disclaimer here. I actually like yes, it. Yes, I like Hooks great, in You. It's a great song. <laughs> now I but like Hooks in You. But as an introduction and sort of going, listen to listen to him. Listen, <laughs> look what he can do. Yeah. It's not, it's not representative of what he can no. do. Again, he, he sounds like a, he sounds on this song, like the sort of singer that sings songs like that mm. on Hooks in You. Whereas... On After Me, he's he pours emotion into it. Yeah, he takes it melody. to the next level. Yeah. And on top of that, this is I'm trying not to give away too much about the album, but what what After Me does 
is music and voice there. The melody is so beautifully in sync. You've got that piano or that keyboardy bit that kind of comes in in the, you know, after the the opening acoustic guitar stuff, and it is just it that is the perfect canvas for the way H sings. Yes, when H hooks in you. He sounds great on it. Don't get yeah, me wrong. Oh yeah, absolutely. But he doesn't sound like H on that song. It's yeah. really odd. I, I totally get what you mean. Yeah. Totally get what you mean, which is why uh, putting it out as their first single was maybe not the best no. and then decision of- when it comes to introducing him to already established fans. But on top of that, what you then had is him appearing on TV shows having to sing that. Mm. And there's only really one way you can perform a song like that, and that's by shimmying and prancing around a stage. <laughs> yeah. You know, whereas what Marillion... You can't rip up a rubber plant to there's no, in you. No, you can't. No, you can't. And you can't pull someone out of the audience and pretend to pull their head off to hooks in you. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see someone try, though. <laughs> I'd like to see Steve Ergoth pull anyone out of an audience, but <laughs> he's not quite fish, fish stature, but... Uh, yeah, and H is a fantastically emotive performer. Mm-hmm. We've seen that yeah, in the years he since. He is. He, he, Fish never really did this. He, he can bring grown men to tears. Yeah. I mean, I was saying this to you last week. Seeing Fish perform, seeing videos of him performing live, I don't get the sense of embodiment of the spirit of the song in mm-hmm. his performance, in his outpouring. We're seeing H perform live. I mean, he is just like fully expressing yeah. the, the emotion of the song. He like so gets into, like he's so, I can't even, I can't even what, express, what explain it. What I will say, it. and this is something we'll touch upon a bit in the next episode, is I think that took him a while to get there. Right. Certainly early shows that I saw with him with Meridian. He seemed self-conscious, understandably. Yeah. He wasn't owning the stage the way he does now. Yeah. He wasn't owning the band the way he does now. It took him a while to get that ownership. And I think it wasn't really until Marbles, by his own admission, that yeah. he kind of went, I've earned my place here. I'm a, you know, this is as much my band as the rest of them. Which it's is understandable. But it's a like, shame it took him so long. All of this that's happened that we're talking about now. Yeah. You can't, you know, you understand why it took so long. But back to my point is that Hooks in You didn't give H the opportunity to to show the the emotion in performance that he's yeah, capable of. I agree. And that really is what Marillion fans became Marillion fans for, was emotion and a degree of theatricality. So, and I'm not saying that's all bands have to be like that, but you've got to understand that there was a, a fan base built up over four albums that have become used to that. And suddenly there's pretty boy prancing around a stage mm. singing a party song. The people freaked. People freaked, freaked out. Freaked. The freaks freaked out. But there was salvation ahead in the form of the album, which we're going to get into in the next episode, I think, as we've oh. talked about, H joining the band way too much. Okay, what a perfect place to pause. <laughs> a few pauses in that sentence. Right, everyone. Uh, so thanks for listening. 
please check us out on Twitter. I haven't been very active on there recently. I'll do some more stuff. Uh, also, you know what? The theme tune we have for this podcast, you can go and buy it now on mrbiffo.bandcamp.com, I think. It's a, it's a memento EP. I'm not a musician. Go easy on me. Uh, I'm, I just fanny around in logic. But, you know, it's 12 minutes long in its full form. But that's where I took the music from that we, we use for the, the intro for this, this podcast. So go check it out because, you know, COVID, need the money. <laughs> you can pay what you want for it and it'll all support the podcast I mean we can keep doing this without having to I don't know sell our house or something so yeah check us out on Twitter at Beampod check us out on Facebook at Beampod why not send us an email Beampod at gmail.com and we'll see you next week when we get fully stuck into season's end see you later bye